Our study today is entitled The Others. The Others. We're living in a time where people are so interested in themselves and we have little time to think about other people, right? If you've been watching the news, people have been running out to the stores, clearing the shelves of one particular item. What is it? Toilet paper. To what are you going to do with toilet paper that, you know, it's... If you run out of food. If you run out of food, you have toilet paper. No. Um, and I understand there are some concerns there, but some people don't even know why they're buying the toilet paper. I think people are just, they want to make sure that they don't run out of toilet paper. Because they're all thinking about themselves, all right? And they're not being considerate that there are other people that also need toilet paper. And we're living in a time where this is very evident. You see people hoarding things, keeping everything for themselves. Uh, I sent my wife to the store simply to buy some beans for a recipe. And she went to the bean aisle and she said they had no beans. And I said, excuse me? It's just they have a lot of beans in the grocery store. She said there are no beans. I am, you got to be kidding me. How am I going to make my recipe, you know? <laughs> With this, I think we're in a time where we really have to be thinking more about others and less about ourselves, right? Last week we were studying about what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul. He who tries to save his own life will lose it, right? But he who loses his life for the sake of Christ will find true life. But here what we're talking about today is the design of God, okay? When he created mankind, because right now everybody is concerned with what is going to happen to all humanity. That's why this is a pandemic that we're facing. But today, I don't want to be focusing on the COVID-19. I want to be focusing on God's truth, his word. So today, we're going to be going back straight to the beginning, all right, when God created mankind, okay? Our first section is called, I am me, you are you. I am me, you are you. My son came up to me last week, and he heard a joke from his cousin. And he, he tried to trick me, a riddle. And he said, Daddy, I am me, you are you, who's the dumb one? I am me, you are you, who's the dumb one? And I looked at him and I said, please don't tell me you fell for that joke. Because the reason he got so excited to tell me, you fell for that joke, didn't you? Because if you answer you're dumb, then you're saying, I'm the one that's dumb, right? If you say me, then it, you're still saying that you're the dumb one. So there was no way out of it, right? So I caught my son in that moment, and I said, listen, I am me, you are you, who's the dumb one? And I said, Tobin is. <laughs> because there's a distinction, all right? He, the, the riddle tries to hook you and cause some sort of confusion, okay? But God created us in a very distinct sort of way, okay? Let's look at these sort of distinctions that God created us with. I am me and you are you. Looking at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. But God said, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the li livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So here we see that in all of creation, this is the first time that there was any sort of divine council, a council meeting of God before creating it. All the other things in creation, all the days prior to this, God said, let there be light, there was light. But this was the first time that we see God have counsel within himself, saying, hey, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. This is Father God speaking with his son, because we know that his son was there with him at creation. Okay? Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. But let's look at the next verse. What does it say there? So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So here we're seeing he created them in the image of God. Okay? 
in the first section, in the first verse, it was talking about an image and a likeness. In this verse, it's simply talking about an image, okay? And I wanted to do a little bit of a word study on this because I think we just rush over the verses very quickly without actually appreciating what is packed in that verse. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Is there a distinction between the image and the likeness of God? So there's a Hebrew word for image, selem. There's a Hebrew word for image, and this is talking more like an abstract concept, like shadows, okay? Uh, my daughter is fascinated with shadows right now because she saw something moving. We were playing, we're having a good time, and we have these pot lights in our house, okay? And as the light is shining down over her, she sees something moving, and she screams, ah! I'm like, sweetheart, what's wrong? She's not even two yet. I'm like, sweetheart, what's wrong? Ah, scared, scared, she says. I'm like, why are you scared? This moving bug. She thought it was a bug, a big bug. And I said, no, sweetheart, oh, that's just your shadow, okay? And it took a long time for me to explain to her what a shadow was. But see, a shadow is something so abstract, and it's so connected to us. It's our shadow, and it, it moves, and it's weird, and we try to figure it out, but it's not an exact image of who we are. All right? But it casts some sort of shadow. So it holds some sort of semblance. Uh, it, it's based off of what we're doing. We see our shadow move accordingly. Okay? So there's this linking thing. It, it's just an amazing thing that God created light first. Right? And without the light, there would be none of this shadow for us to understand. So image is like a shadow. Okay? In this Hebrew word. The word likeness is a little bit more concrete, demut. Likeness is more physical and demonstrative, okay? Later in the Bible, we read that Jesus was the exact likeness of his father. So he demonstrated. He lived out his life physically um, as a physical copy of who Father God is, okay? So that's what likeness is. So when it says that we were created in the image of God, does God look like you physically? Probably not. Okay. So what is this image of God? Let's be very clear. You are not the image of God. Okay. Let's make that very clear. Sometimes we think we go out and anything we do is going to represent this is who God is. You are not the image of God. You were merely created in the image of God. What does that mean? It means to be created in correspondence with his image. This verse ends off, male and female, he created them in his image. So there's something about our maleness and our femaleness together that helps put together this picture of what God is all about. God is not male or female the way we understand male or female to be. But he uses a design of maleness and femaleness to reveal himself to us. Okay? Why is our maleness and femaleness important? We're going to be getting into that later in the study. So here we have God is creator and mankind were the creation. Okay? God created us. We needed God to create us. We would not exist if it weren't for God. Okay? But God is God. Nobody needed to create him. He is the creator. Okay? So the relationship here, there is a distinction. God says, let us make mankind in our image. Let them share in a little bit of what we got going on. All right? Father is saying to son. And here we are created in the image of God in correspondence with God's image. So in order to understand a little bit more of who we are and what we're meant for, we have to go back to understand who is God, first of all, right? Who is our creator? Let's look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, 
What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Kind of strange, huh? So God's revealing himself to Moses, and Moses trying to figure out, okay, God, I'm talking to you. We got this going on right now, but you expect me to go there and do this work. I can't go out there in my own name. I can't go out there in my own strength. You're telling me to go, so what do you want me to tell them? Who shall I say sent me? And God replies, I am. What? What's your name, God? I am. Tell them I am sent me. What? It doesn't make sense, right? It's like, what are you talking about? So again, here's another phrase that we have to look at. I am who I am, the Hebrew Ehye, Asher, Ehye. It's a verb that means to be. For God to take a verb and apply it to himself, to be, what is God really claiming here? What is he talking about? There's a similar verse later in Revelation, Revelation 1 verse 8, and it's a similar expression. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is who God is. You want to know who is God? He is. No matter when or where, God is. No matter what circumstance you find yourself in, God remains, God is. He exists. He's there. Where are you, God? No matter when you ask that question, God is there. Because he is. He is all-powerful. He is ever-existent. He is ever-present. I am who I am. Who are you, God? There's no one like me. I am who I am. And you are who you are. He makes the distinction. Nobody could claim to be God. Nobody could claim to be I am. Okay? Let's keep that in our mind. Mind you, Moses was asking God this at the time that God was asking him to go into Egypt to free people from the heavy hand of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh had a hard heart. And he goes, who is this Lord of yours that I should let your people go? Moses comes in and he says, God has said, let my people go. The Lord has said, let my people go. Pharaoh says, who is this Lord of yours? Why should I listen to him? Please, I am Pharaoh. And he thought he was all-powerful. He thought he was this ruling, and he was, as far as human beings are concerned. Okay? If we learn a lesson from Pharaoh here, is that when we stand in opposition to the Lord, the way that Pharaoh did, it shows that we are unwilling to concede to God as a power higher than ourselves. Is God greater than you are? Let me ask again. Is God greater than you are? Is he more powerful than you are? Do you always live your life in that reality? No, we do not. When we are selfish, when we are proud, we are so quick to forget who the all-powerful God is. Isn't it true? When we stand in opposition to God, like Pharaoh, it shows that we have a hardened heart and we are unwilling to concede to God as a power more higher and more powerful than ourselves. Are you willing to yield your plans to the great I am, the one who is all-powerful and all-sufficient? Remember, we've been studying about a church in Laodicea, the lukewarm church the church that felt so confident in their ability to amass wealth. And they felt self-sufficient, and they felt, I don't need anything. I have everything that I need. But they weren't talking about God. And these are people that claim to be believers. Instead of trusting in God to provide all that they need, they trusted in everything that they had for themselves.
Are you willing to yield your plans to the great I am? If you have a really good job today and you're bringing home a pretty paycheck and God says, my child, I don't want you there anymore. Leave that job. Will you go? Huh. Well, where are you taking me, God? God says, I'll show you when we get there. I got something good for you. Let's go. And you're like, okay, God, I'm, I'm interested to know, but I can't leave my job. It's really good. It's paying really well. Are you trusting God or are you trusting the job? You're trusting the job. My kids, I say, come on, kids, we're going for a, we're going for a drive. We're going somewhere really cool. You're going to love it. Where are we going, Dad? I said, trust me, just get in the car. It's going to be good. I know you love this. I'm taking you somewhere we could all enjoy. Okay, but where? So I say, think of all the places you enjoy. They start listing off a bunch of places. And I'm like, no, we're not going to the aquarium. No, we're not going. All these, we're not going to, you know. And I'm just like, come on, kids, just get in the car. Do you trust me? Yeah, but, and they're trying to decide if they want to go to this fun place or stay home and play video games or read books. <laughs> they read books too. Um, and a lot, of a lot of the time, this is how we, we live. We live like little children that are still concerned with what we're getting out of it, right? If God says, come follow me, and you ask God, well, what am I getting out of it? You know? Come follow me. Why? What's in it for me? We're still thinking about ourselves, And what God wants to do is draw you out of yourself and take you somewhere you've never been before. Instead of Tim land, he's taking you to other person land. All right? He wants to draw you out to experience more of his design for your life. And you ask God, what is the purpose that you have for my life? What am I here for? What about me? What about me? And you're talking about me, me, me. And God's like, come, I'm going to show you. Do you see that person that's sitting by themselves over there? I want you to go and smile. Talk to them. And you're like, why? I don't want to go over there. That person might be weird. I don't know them. You know? And you're asking God to show you what he wants for your life. But you're not going. You're still thinking about me. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. This is God speaking. God is making it very clear. He is holy, set apart. Nobody can compare. There is no one but our God. All right? He alone is. He is the great I am. Let's look at Isaiah 55, 7 to 9. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will fully pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We've seen the second part of this verse before, time and time again. Let's go back to the verse just before it. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. An integral part of seeking the Lord is turning from our sin, turning from our selfishness, turning from our pride, turning from our self-sufficiency. Some may doubt such willingness of God to be compassionate to abundantly pardon the one who returns to the Lord and who turns from sin. But God deals with mankind in this way, showing the distinction of how his thoughts and his ways go far beyond human comprehension. Is it easy for you to forgive somebody as soon as the offense happens? Like you learn it eventually, but it doesn't come naturally to us, right? Naturally, we're selfish. Naturally, we want... Um, What's my son's word? Vengeance! <laughs> Revenge! <laughs> He's got brothers, you know? And he's like, oh, he destroyed my building. Vengeance! You know, it's like... God's thoughts and his ways are so different from ours. He says, love your enemies. What? 
Love your enemies. Do any of you have enemies today? Yeah, you have a few enemies on your list? Okay. I know you have a list. You have a few lists. Oh, I pray for you, brother. I'm praying. Praying those lists get smaller and smaller. All right, yeah, we could have enemies, people that are against us, right? They're not our enemies because we hate them, but we have enemies because they are against us, okay? But God says, love them. And you're like, God, teach me your ways. God says, first of all, go love that person. No, I don't want to. We're still about our comfort, and we're still looking out for number one ourselves. So here we have God is God. He's holy. There's no one like him. We are simply his creation, okay? But he created us and put a purpose in the design of how he created us. Remember, there was that divine counsel. Let us create them in our image. Male and female, he created them, all right? Let us create them in our likeness. But there's still something about that likeness we haven't quite reached yet. At the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't ideal, right? Before that, they were naked, but they were covered with God's glory. And it wasn't until they acted out of their selfishness that that glory was lifted and they became aware of their nakedness. See, prior to being aware of their own nakedness, they were in communion with God. They were hidden away in God's glory. They weren't looking at themselves. They were just enjoying being in the presence of God. But at the fall, when that happened, it didn't mean that mankind was no longer in the image of God. We are still created in accordance to God's image. He still has a purpose and a plan for every human life. So we can't say, oh, well, we're sinners anyway. Let's just, who cares what happens? No. God didn't give up. At the fall, God also made a promise. Do you remember that? What he said to Eve? There will be offspring that will rise up at just the right time. When the enemy is coming, when that serpent comes, it's going to bite the heel of this one, and this one's going to step on that serpent's head and crush his head. God was already telling about the plan of salvation. God was already talking about his son, Jesus Christ, coming to fulfill this purpose in the design of mankind created in the image of God for a purpose. Do you think God would have created us in his image if he didn't have a purpose in it? He's got purpose all the way. All right? His plans, his thoughts, his ways, high above ours. We couldn't understand it, but it's the best. I pray you learn to trust him. I pray you learn to trust him. Let's look at part of this design. We're going to go back to this maleness and femaleness. Purpose in the design. And we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 28. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's stop there. <laughs> submit to one another. Everybody say submit. Do you like to submit? No. <laughs> But God says, submit to one another. But why? Out of reverence for Christ. Okay? And that precedes the rest of the verses we're going to, to study here. Let's continue. Wives, submit to yourselves. Submit yourselves <laughs> to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Don't worry. We're not going to be stopping here, but we do need to talk about this. Okay? Wives, submit yourselves to whom? Whose husbands? Your own husbands. Don't submit to somebody else's husband. <laughs> you submit to your own husband. Okay? Part of God's design in male and female... He didn't create one male and several females. He created one male and one female. Okay? And he put them in the garden and he said, go forth, multiply, be fruitful and multiply. Right? Families was part of God's design. 
Now, we're living in a time where there's a lot of broken family, right? And you know what? It is a broken world. It's broken times. It has been since the fall, all right? And the enemy is working overtime to try and destroy this image. My wife and I, you know, if we post a picture of just ourselves, like if I post a picture of just me on Facebook, it doesn't get a lot of likes, if my wife posts a picture of me and her being sweet together, it gets a few more likes. If there's a picture of me and my five kids with my wife, just a ton of likes. And I'm like, I know it's not because we're good looking or anything like that. We're not dressed up nice. We're not doing anything special. It's just a picture of a family. And something about that tells me, wow, there's something about a family that stops people in their tracks and when they see a family, they're just like, there's something right about that. They don't know us. A lot of these people clicking, they don't know us. We're a very private sort of family, you know? But when they see a picture of, wow, look at that, a mom, dad, and all those kids, there's something right about that. Something in our human spirit is awakened and attaches to that proper image. And this is not to condemn anybody that's living any other sort of way, right? Because in our ignorance, sometimes we don't know, we don't remember what God intended. We don't know what God's design was. We're simply growing up in the ways of the world. But God wants to wake you up from your slumber in this world and wake you up to the reality of what was his design all this time, okay? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. These are instructions for a healthy household, okay? That's why this is being put out here. It's for a healthy household. God wants you to have a healthy life. So he gives these sort of instructions so that you can benefit because even chemically, hormonally, men and women are very different from one another. It's just in our design. Women can tolerate pain more than a lot of men can, a lot better. That's why God allowed them to bear the children, right? God bless my wife. I don't know how she does it. Um, but there's something in the design of male and female cooperating together. Now, here's something that I like to talk about regularly here at Praise Gathering. And it's addressing things of homosexuality, okay? And I'm not talking about the lifestyle. It goes off from God's design in that God planted them male and female, and then he said, be fruitful and multiply. Now, a male with a male, can they multiply? No. A female with female, can they multiply? No. There's something about a male in all his differences with a female that God wants us to get to know one another. It's easier for a lot of guys to stay with guys because they're comfortable with their own body, they're comfortable with their, the way that their mechanics work, and sometimes they just prefer to stay there. They don't want to be concerned with learning about somebody else or being accommodating for somebody else. And it's selfish in a way, isn't it? I'm getting what I want out of this because I'm comfortable here. But God says, I want to draw you out of yourself and point you to somebody else. Not with somebody that has the same anatomy as you. I want... I designed this person to complement your anatomy. The men and women, they become one flesh as they intimately know each other. The way their organs fit together, it's just God's design, okay? The female with female. I don't trust men, but I trust my sisters. My sisters love me. I'm going to stay with my sisters. And we hide out, just women with women not knowing a man, not understanding the other. And what happens when women get together with women? They complain about the men. What happens when men get together with men? They complain about the women. No, 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 no. You're supposed to um, work together, get to know each other, learn to love each other. And this is what God's teaching us here. Women, you want to know how to get on better with the men? Submit. What does that look like? Remember, it's not just the women submitting, it's the men submitting too. The verse before this said, submit to one another. 
And God is trying to teach us something here, okay? Remember, marriage isn't, these instructions are not just for the sake of your marriage and your family and your life. We were created in God's image, and he wants to ensure that that image is well represented, okay? Our marriages should exist to glorify God. God doesn't exist to make you feel safe in your marriage. I know there's a lot of broken marriage. I know there's a lot of broken family. There's no shame in this for you. God isn't judging you because of your situation. God loves you and he knows your brokenness. He knows your hurting heart and he sees you. But he wants you to find hope in his design. Okay? And not just for yourself. Okay? Hope for all humanity. We're living in a time before all this COVID-19 stuff was starting. There's a lot of um, extremist feminism that has been on the rise, right? Um, women, women, it's all about us. Yes, we don't need men. We could do it on our own. Women power. And you know what? I love women. God created women. God created men. But when a woman starts to shout, I don't need this, I'm self-sufficient, that's a voice of pride. It's a voice of pride. It sounds like the voice of all mankind. I don't need God. I don't need anything. I'm good on my own. I could do this myself. It's the same voice. So it's not even about women themselves. But I believe the enemy has been using that movement of extremist feminism to sing the same old song. You don't need anything. You deserve all the respect. It's all about you. You get it yourself. You don't have to care about anybody else. The devil singing the same old song. I hate that guy. Huh? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Have the heart of a servant and put, the first, and put first the needs of others. This section is talking about mutual submission where he feels respected and she feels loved. Let's continue reading. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, for the husband is ahead of the wife as husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This is huge. Women have trouble with, a lot of women have trouble with that last verse. Wives, submit to your own husbands. But look at what God says to the husbands. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Sacrifice. This is hard. You know, I know before I got married, I understood this in theory. But when I started to live it out with my wife in the early days of our marriage, it was tough. Because you got to humble yourself. You can't overpower your wife. You can't be domineering and all this. No. How did Christ love the church? Christ never forced himself on us. He waited for us to receive him unto ourselves. God will never force himself on you. Understand, in the male and femaleness, if the male forced himself on the woman, what is that called? Rape. And God would never do that to you. He waits for you to invite him into your life. Women, in the same way, you open yourself in trust and submission to your husband, and the husband lovingly comes to you. I'm talking about the sexual encounter here. The, you open yourself up and the husband lovingly comes to you and together there's a complementary-ness that just happens in God's design there. If the wife is cold and closed off, it's not easy for that interaction to happen. If the husband is not loving his wife and is disinterested, well, that interaction will also not happen. There's something in the design of sex that God put there 
so that a man and a woman can know each other intimately. They are different from one another. Okay? They are obviously physically different from one another, but to complement one another and work together and submit to one another and there, there we see, we learn more about God's purpose for our life. He wants us to serve the needs of the other. Not just looking out for our own needs, but looking out of the needs of the other. He wants to draw you out of yourself and bring you face to face with something that's different from you. Okay? Today's culture doesn't place a very high value on others. Selfishness, misplaced priorities, and exhaustion <laughs> keep us from nurturing our own submissive hearts, and we have nothing left to give to the people we love most. We get burnt out from our jobs. It demands so much of us, we come home, and we're too tired. You know? The wife might have been at home with the kids all day. And she doesn't have time to cook dinner for her husband who was working. You know, like all these different things. Husbands find it hard to love their wives when the wives are shopping. <laughs> and yeah, it's always the wife says, well, I got this for you. I said, yes, what did you get for yourself? It's hard. Because there's something about shopping and women. There's a link, an intrinsic, intrinsic link there. Women shopping to fill a void. When they're feeling unloved, they shop. When something's wrong, they shop. They try to fill a void. That's part of their design. They are to receive unto themselves, right? The man, it's so easy for a man to... Adventure, go out there, do something for himself. You know, he's out for the thrill, he's out for excitement. A woman can't respect the man when she sees him just living for himself, going out there and partying with the boys and going to the game and doing fun stuff. It's like, what are you doing over there? And it's all consumerism, isn't it? Consumerism is a real sin that we're all stuck in right now. All right? Everybody hoarding, everybody serving themselves and not serving one another. You go on the bus, they have priority seating for the elderly, for the pregnant, for the disabled. And I see young kids sitting on their phone, on the bus, <coughs> occupying those seats. They're not even aware that somebody else came in that needs to sit down, an elderly person, somebody disabled. And they're just on their phone taking up all the space. They haven't learned. We're in a, a, a society where we're so inward focused. Our phones have kept us isolated. We are no longer aware of what is beyond that screen anymore. We're interested with the news bits that we get, all the notifications that we scroll in social media. And we're not aware of the other people around us anymore. The enemy is succeeding, isn't he? What are we doing? we got to put our phones down. We got to get out from behind the screen. We got to have some real FaceTime, face to face. We need to sit down and have real conversations. We don't just look at a meme that has a verse and say, that's a good verse, I like it. No, open your Bible, sit down, chew on it for a while. Don't rush your meal with God, digest it. Let it help you. Get something from God's word and let it become part of you, okay? Let it move you. Let's continue this verse. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So ladies, if you see your husband grooming himself, let him groom. If he loves himself that way, he'll take good care of you. If you see your husband saving, don't spend the money. He's saving, and he wants to spend it on you. Don't spend the money, and then you say, you don't love me, you don't even get me anything. And Well, because you spent all the money. I got nothing left. You know, do you, do you see? It's a simple thing, and we laugh because it's true, but it's sad. 
right? It's sad. Because we don't understand one another as male and female. That's all I'm saying, okay? And this is talking about so much more than just a husband and wife. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Yeah, don't go running out buying toilet paper because everybody else is buying toilet paper. Okay? Don't go and shop when you're feeling sad because that's what your girlfriends do. Don't cheat on your wife when you feel disrespected because that's what your friends did. Okay? Don't go to pornography because you're being unfulfilled from your spouse. Stop trying to fill the void. Stop trying to be self-sufficient. Learn how to start serving the needs of other people and stop being selfish. God wants us to humble ourselves to serve one another, and then we can figure out what his real purpose is, what his will is for our lives, okay? It's good and pleasing and perfect, all right? I have a confession. I've been dealing, you know, you know I've been dealing with my depression on and off for decades, and my depression was coming really strong this week. Um, it, it was a hard, hard few weeks lately. And earlier this week, it got the best of me. You know, I, uh, I took my family out for a nice little drive. And I ordered Starbucks on my phone. And I went to the drive-thru to go pick it up. And I sat there for like maybe only three seconds waiting for the guy on the intercom. And I'm like, they're not here. So I drove straight up. And the guy said, hey, buddy, uh, you got to stop over at the... Uh, I said, I did. But nobody was, nobody was answering. And he looked back and he looked around. And he's like, but I just saw you. And then he goes, whatever. You know, and he was giving me the attitude. I was already not having a good day. Right? And I, but I, I insisted. I kind of stated my case. I said, well, if you guys aren't going to answer when someone drives up, then what does it hurt? I'm here to pick up my order. It was rude. It was unkind. It was so uncharacteristic of me. And I could blame the depression, but I'm not gonna. It felt good in that moment. I won't lie. It felt good in that moment to get it off my chest. It was the easier thing to do. I could have simply said, I'm sorry. Thanks, man. Next time. But instead, I, I responded with, yeah, well, if you're not doing your job, then you can't tell me that I needed to stop back there. Self, I was entitled. I was selfish. And you don't know how much that ate me up for the next couple days. My wife, as we pulled away, she said, Tim, you, you barely stopped. And I'm like, whatever, to my wife. And my kids were in the back. And she goes, wow, you're crusty. I'm like, yeah, I'm allowed to be crusty sometimes. And I heard myself and I stopped. I couldn't, I was so proud, I couldn't even apologize to her in the moment. I was dealing with my own depression and all that, but you know, it's not an excuse. Why? Because I chose to act out of myself instead of relying on Christ in that moment. Be concerned of the other. Try to outdo one another with honor. Romans 8.29 For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So replacing the don't be conformed, he replaces it with because you were designed to be conformed to the image of Christ. Okay? When someone tries to quit smoking, you can't just tell them, stop smoking. You have to replace it with a healthy habit. Stop smoking, go for a run. Right? You replace it with something healthier so you don't slip back into that old habit. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't keep sliding back into your old way of living. You are born again in Christ. You are supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ. Submit to Christ. And he's teaching this to us in the 
in the families as well. Submit to one another in the family, and that's the practice grounds so that we can learn what it really means to submit to Christ fully. Okay? When we submit to one another, things go well. If you haven't tried it, just try it, and you'll see that things go well. Okay? I'm not trying. It's not like, you better start submitting. No, just taste and see that the Lord is good. And he knows what he's talking about. All right? Try it out. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world because God planned for us to be conformed to the image of Christ. Let's look at what Jesus said here in John chapter 8, verse 58. Very truly, I say to you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, I just wanted to bring this back here. Remember, when Jesus Christ came to earth, he came in the form of a human being. A human being just like you and I. A human being created in the image of God. Okay? But God was very clear. I am who I am. You are who you are. There is a clear distinction. Anybody that tries to claim that they are self-sufficient, anyone that tries to claim that they are more powerful than God, it's a lie. Okay? Yet Jesus, as a human being, makes this claim. Jesus claimed the title, I am... For himself, because Jesus is eternally constant and ever-present. Our only hope is to abandon claims of our own sovereignty and sufficiency and cast ourselves upon the mercy of the great I Am. Other yet one. Holy. We're going to continue reading Ephesians chapter 5, starting at 28 again. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. You see that? What does Christ do for the church? He cares for us. He loves us. He doesn't go against himself. Okay? He's the head and we are the body. Okay, let's continue. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. That word there, united, it's a word that actually talks, it's more like concrete. There's a permanence to it. Okay, where uh, leave their father and mother, a man will leave his father and mother and be united. Okay, there's, it assumes loyalty. It assumes faithfulness. It assumes um, commitment, okay? United and become one flesh. If you take that picture of one flesh in its sexual connotations and apply it to our spiritual life with Christ, that's the proper way of dealing with it. He wants us to take the design of sex to better understand what it means in a spiritual sense to know God intimately. Face to face. Okay? When a man and woman lie together, it was designed in such a way that face to face, they can know one another in a very intimate and close way. And physically, they become one flesh in, in a sense. They are two distinct beings, but in that moment, they become one. Jesus, in his last hours, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, had been praying that his church, that all who would believe, would become one with him, just as he is one with his Father. And he invites us into this oneness. God says, I am me, you are you, but I invite us to be one. But God is so different from me. How could I possibly understand who God is? Take the time. Know his love and respond with worship and respect and awe and honor and all that is due him. It says there at the end, 
Each of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Many places in the Bible is talking about Jesus. He calls himself the bridegroom. And the church is his bride. So he, he takes on the male role in the relationship, and he is the head of the body. So everything is submitted to him and his will and what he says and what he does. The brain communicates to the rest of the body what the body needs to do, right? If you put your hand on a stove and it's hot, there's a message that gets sent to the brain. And then the brain responds and tells you, it's hot, remove your hand. And then you say, ouch. And all the parts of the body start to work together. The mouth and the hand are so far apart, but they're working together. They're experiencing the same thing together because they are so closely knit. And I believe that's how the church is supposed to be. When our brother or sister is hurting, we are there to minister to them. We are there to be with them. We are part of the same body. We are all under Christ, and Christ says, go, love your brother and sister, serve one another, humble yourself. This is what you were made for so that God would be glorified. Do you love your brother and sister today? Are you serving them with humility? There's another verse after this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Submission without obedience is no submission at all. All right? When you were born, you were not born a father or a mother. When you were born, you were born as a child. You were given into the care of adults that would take care of you. And those adults, if they were doing the good thing, were giving you instruction. They were teaching you. They were doing everything to help make sure that you would thrive in this world. So you follow their instruction. If there are many cars out on the road and I see my son run toward the street and I yell, stop, freeze, don't move, I'm giving instruction. My son better listen. He better stop where he is if he doesn't want to get hit by a car. There was one time that one of my sons ran away from home. How old was he? Four? He was four years old. He ran away from home, and I wasn't there to yell, stop. And he went to a very busy intersection. He escaped. He's a runner, okay? Nobody was there to say, stop. He was free to do whatever he wanted to do. He was in a mission on his own to get to Walmart because he wanted a gumball. If I was there to give the instruction, he would not have gotten hit by that car. If we don't know God's instruction, we set ourselves up for destruction. God, in his mercy, spared my son's life. He's sitting here with us today. He learned his lessons. He doesn't run across the street anymore. But what does it take for us, friends, to submit to the way of God? What does it take before he catches our attention? When do we learn our lessons? God designed an other-centered union for a me-centered world. He created marriage as a loyal partnership between one man and one woman. A healthy marriage is the firmest foundation for building a family. When God reveals himself, he talks of himself as Father God, right? And he talks about his son, Jesus. And then he talks about us as his children, right? A healthy marriage is the firmest foundation for building a family. God wants to build a family. Sexual expression was designed to help build intimacy. And ultimately, marriage mirrors God's covenant relationship with his people, right? The man who doesn't provide for his own family, it's, it's a horrible thing. 
right? He's responsible for that. Just as God provides all things for his family, everything that we need, he provides, he protects. That's how he loves us, okay? He saves us from ourselves and he gives us instruction and he wants us to learn to obey, not in order to be saved. We're already saved, but he wants to keep his family safe, you know? He wants to keep his family thriving. Are we going to obey as obedient children? Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 7. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in, every, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Put aside your selfish desires by first serving our creator, and then by serving each other and providing for each other's needs. Takes humility, doesn't it? Right? This is not just for husbands and wives. This is for all of us. In our relationships with one another in the body of Christ, this is how we do. Humble ourselves and serve. Okay? Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 19. These are just a few excerpts. The Son is the image of the invisible God. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the, and he is the head of the body, the church. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. See that Jesus Christ is the exact likeness of Father God. Okay? He demonstrated the Father's heart. And before Jesus left, he said, hang on to my teachings. You know, follow me and hang on to my teachings. And this is how you ought to love one another. Okay, as you love one another, people will know that you are my followers. As you love one another, you are declaring that God is God in your life. You are bringing glory and honor to God as you love one another. And what does that look like? Respecting, serving, and respecting God above all things. Okay? Here's a point that came up in our study on Thursday. Um, there are, the Christian church is filled with women. It's dominated by women today. And a lot of women come to the church because they're having issues. I get it. You know, it's like men not stepping up, not doing their thing, or they just, they're dissatisfied with their man. They want something better. I don't know what it is. Or they just find that sisterhood, that love in a church that they don't feel at home. But they come to the church just looking to fill that using the people that are there and not out of reverence to Christ. They're not submitting to Christ. They're still going out there trying to get out of the church. Oh, here I get position. There are now women elders. There are now women pastors. And I'm going to show them that I could be a pastor just like any other man. That is not Christian. That is not the way. And we do this in the name of God? No. That does not bring honor and glory. All these instructions for a Christian household, it's meant for our church. Learn to respect one another in the church. Learn to love one another in the church. They might be different from you. You are no better than them. So you humble yourself. Learn to serve. That's the importance of it, friends. This is why we need to be concerned with the other. Because Christ as our head, that's his will for us. Are you going to submit your will to God's? Or are you going to keep pushing your own will? Are you going to be like Pharaoh, opposing God and coming into his body? That is just like cancer in the body. That's like COVID-19 in the body. Okay? It's out to destroy you. All right? Don't let that take root in your heart, friends. 
We are the church. We must respect Christ, obey his teachings, follow him in all things if we want to understand that more abundant life that he has promised us in his kingdom. Jesus Christ is the exact likeness of Father God. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world because you were meant to be conformed to the image of Christ. We are to become one with Christ, just as Christ is one with his Father. Okay? We are invited into that oneness, friends, holy and set apart. Okay? Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 16. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. There's two things in this verse. Hope and be holy. Everyone say hope and be holy. Okay, your hope better be in the name of the Lord. Don't put your hope in other things. Don't trust other things. Only trust him. He will provide. He will protect. He will lead. He will guide. Hope in him. Okay? And be holy. Be set apart to him. Be fully committed to him. Do not be double-minded. Be single-minded toward Christ. Okay? Be fully committed in your relationship to God. God is holy in that he is set apart from all that is evil and defective and impure. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which, you were, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. 